this is Elevation Gains Podcast. I'm Jim, an avid backpacker and hiker from Reno, Nevada. I'm Holly, a coach and weightlifter. I own a strength gym in Oakland, California. And on this podcast, we attempt to break down some of the barriers that keep people from enjoying the backcountry. So why do you keep going out on the trail, even though you almost died? (laughs) That is actually the topic of today's episode is, is the the psychology of why we go backpacking or, or adventuring or, you know, any of these crazy things that we do with, you know, free diving or paddle boarding or mountaineering. Um, And it's also the number one question I get. Anytime somebody hears that story why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep doing that? And the only answer I've ever been able to give is because I have to. I love that response. And like the 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 part of this episode where we get into that exact question, the because I have to, because I'm driven. And, you know, I think one of the most popular quotes that, or at least the most quoted to me that I've heard is the, um, the mountains are calling and I must go. And I And I just like, you know, the the history of the person aside, that has always resonated with me. But there's a lot of other reasons why we go out and do hard things for fun. Absolutely. And the guest on today's show has some pretty good insight into that. Uh, his name is Kalman Tika, known on the trail as Ghost Mule. And he is a former EMT and current like backpacker and adventurer and youtuber he's he's got so he's got a really interesting take in my opinion on the why and i think that's always the big question for everybody's why why do you do these things why do you go to these places all this stuff is so scary why do you do it and ghost mule has a really interesting why and I loved, and I hope you all also love, the stories from this episode. There are so many amazing stories. So it ran a little long, but um, stick around and make sure to wait for, and his head just started coming down out of the bushes. Because that was a good one. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want this preamble to go on too long, but I do want to say <laughs> this was, and, and we've only had three guests, so we'll start there too, but this was so much fun to record, and I think the three of us had such great chemistry. This episode came together so, so well that I absolutely want to invite Ghost Mule back to do another episode at some point. Oh yeah, definitely. I hope I hope that he will, uh, I hope he will visit again. And uh, yeah, it was just so much fun. All right. And with that said, let's get on to episode 11. Welcome to Elevation Gains. 
We are on episode 11, if you can believe it. Uh, we have not been super consistent with releasing these. We had this grand idea of releasing like one a month. And, you know, now they just kind of come out whenever we feel like it. So thank you for <laughs> sticking with us and listening, even though we're kind of assholes about it. You know, it's funny, though. I've noticed that on other channels and podcasts and things that I pay attention to, things have gotten a little bit less consistent. And uh, that makes me feel a little bit more reassured. Right. You know, it's the funniest thing. Like, I was listening to a ton of podcasts just before and, of course, during all the COVID shutdowns because what the fuck else was I going to do? Um, <laughs> you know, I'm just sitting at home. I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. Uh, so I got super into podcasts. It was really fun and really entertaining and, and oftentimes really informative. But I have noticed now with, with the shutdowns having been eased almost everywhere that a lot of my favorite podcasts uh, are like, eh, Maybe once every two weeks or maybe once every three weeks or maybe once whenever we feel like it. Um, I was actually a guest on a podcast that has yet to come out. So <laughs> that one's really kind of weird because I was just like, oh, cool. This was fun. I'm super excited about this. And then crickets. So which yeah. we kind of did to our last guest. So <laughs> yeah, we still haven't released our last one. Um, one it's coming. Episode 10 is It'll be out before this one. I can promise you that. I can't tell you when, but by the time you're <laughs> listening to this, you could have already listened to that. I mean, it'll be out when we have time. That's when. Right? Yeah. Um, so what have you been up to? I watch your Instagram and it looks like cool stuff. I know. And I've been a lot less engaged with Instagram lately, actually, because it feels like more and more social media actually keeps us from socializing with the people who are important and keeps us focused on ads and feeling bad. I'm not entirely sure. Um, so I've been less engaged with that, which has been actually something I've been thinking a lot about. Like, I know uh, I saw that you were on another social media platform and I joined that, but I haven't been super engaged with that either. And I'm kind of finding where I'm landing back in social media land. Um, I guess I miss the days of like bridge nine hardcore forums. <laughs> and like, I met so many of my good friends in, in forums and groups and like Facebook groups. And now I feel like I'm very old when I say that. Um, and I'm not even on TikTok, and I don't want to engage in any of that. And, uh, so I'm kind of looking for my place to land in terms of how to connect with all the people that I care about all over the world. Uh, so I'm glad that it still looks like I'm having fun. Uh, I did just get back from uh, Oahu. So Brian and I went there to do a free diving underwater photo shoot for the wedding that is happening in December. And... I did not love most of the experience of being <laughs> around mostly the island of Oahu. Uh, it was a perfectly fun trip and I have no plans of going back. Um, and uh, the shoot itself was like maybe one of the most fun experiences I've ever had. Uh, We've talked about this off and on how uh, I'm like a weirdo because I'm over here like I go down and most of the time people I think who listen to this go up uh, and when my knee feels better and my leg feels better, I will be doing a lot more up hopefully next season. Uh, but 
in this particular scenario, we went down and we went down. Oh my God, so much more than I've ever done in my entire life. Uh, the photographer was like, okay, so we've got this 50 foot little grotto that we're in. Um, and first of all, wait, hold on, hold on. I'm going to set the scene. Okay. So I, uh, <laughs> I don't know how many people who are listening know me in any realm, but I'm not like an incredibly flashy person. I'm a weirdly stylized person, but I'm not really glammy. Uh, I chose for the underwater wedding shoot to have like a very small, very shiny, sequiny, low cut top and this very flowy, sheer white skirt. And I chose that because I figured it would look amazing in the water and the sequins would show like the light and everything else. And it would be just a really cool um, outfit for being underwater and, and, you know, pulling all of the, all of the elements of that out. I didn't think about how awkward it would be to get from the parking lot to the water. Uh, so picture this, Brian is a pretty freaking big, uh, pretty freaking tall guy in a, in a white suit uh with a with a skinny tie and like leggings um and a belt which is a totally normal uh outfit and i've got a skirt that is at least a foot too long for my body and this incredibly shiny way too small top and uh we're trying to make our way across a crowded beach outside of honolulu um in the middle of the day there's nothing weird about that uh so <laughs> So I'm walking across the park, parking lot and I have taken my skirt and I have diapered it up around my sort of crotch area so that it's not dragging on the ground. And uh, and I'm looking around like, oh, sweet Jesus, this freaking better be worth it and really cool because I feel like a goddamn idiot right now. Um, and, uh, and the moral of the story is it was really, really cool. And we were supposed to shoot for about 90 minutes. We shot for a, a little over three hours, um, actually, until his uh, camera made a very loud beeping noise because it had no memory left. Oh, wow. uh, we actually shot to the point where Brian started to move into the hypothermic realm and his whole body was shaking. And so he left, got out of the water, put clothes on Um and sat on the shore while I continued to shoot with our photographer for another like 20, 30 minutes. Uh, he was warm. Don't worry about him. Uh, and this shoot was like, you go down 50 feet. It's like 30, 40 seconds, right? So you hold your breath for 30, 40 seconds. You go down, you equalize, you swim along, take some shots, you go back up. We dove 15 feet, 30 feet, 50 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet, 20 feet, 15 feet, 50 feet for three hours straight. And normally you would go swim along, swim along, swim along, dive, come back up, breathe for a while, totally normally, maybe five, 10 minutes, dive again. Uh, if you're pulling down a line, you'd pull down the line, come back up, wait for others to pull down the line, plenty of time to breathe, 10, 15, 20 minutes in between dives. You don't know. This was like 10, 20, 30 seconds. We'd come back up and he'd be like, okay, great. The light was great on that one. I want you to drop your shoulder and move your head a little bit this way. All right, three, two, one. And I'm like, <gasps> uh, and that just happened over and over and over. And there was no swimming along. It was just pike down. Um, so the next day my abs were sore, my back was sore. And I like, I'm very impressed that I'm able to do this breath training situation for three hours straight. So pretty proud of myself, really excited to get the photos back. We don't even get low res stuff for another two and a half weeks, but oh, wow. fingers crossed. It was really cool. 
So do you uh, want to do you want to expand a little bit on why you would never go back there? I'm I'm very <laughs> interested to hear. Yeah, so this plays into our topic a little bit. Um, so we'll we'll introduce that in a little bit, but it's it's funny. Uh, right before we we hit record, we were talking about social media and how it's this highlight reel of what's perfect and what's wonderful. And I was I was reflecting to myself since I've been back and on the plane back, where I normally edit videos and put them together and get excited to like post these these adventures. And and I'm looking at these videos and I'm like. I fucking hate that place. Uh, <laughs> like, I get it. It's Oahu, Oahu, and like the water was warm. That part's really cool, theoretically, except for the fact that you're sweating in the water, which means you're sweating into your mask, which means your mask is fogging up basically no matter what you do. It's so hot. It's so warm all the time. The water is 84 degrees. The uh, the air is 84 degrees. The wind is 84 degrees. Nothing is refreshing. Um, the water is so gross and everything is dead. Um, we did get a very brief moment to swim with some very concerned dolphins, but they said hi and they swam around us a couple of times. And that was neat. I always love running into dolphins and it was a, it was a type I had never swam with before. So that was cool. Uh, and while we were swimming with those actual human feces, uh, also swam by, um, and, uh, I did get hit up against some rocks. It is the North shore of Oahu, which is best known for big wave surfing. So I got bashed against some rocks, which would be sort of expected, except for that cut is now very infected, uh, because I swam for a while longer and it got whatever the heck was in the water. Um, Anyway, I'll save you the rest of the whining about uh, the water in Oahu, but uh, let's just leave it at, I sure do wish that people would start to take care of reefs and forests in equal measure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so cool. that that was my most recent sort of adventure. Uh, and most of my adventures have been much more... Uh, chill and pedestrian since I've low key been sort of sick since I got back from the dive trip to San Diego. Right. Uh, so that's, that's not great, but uh, tell me about what you've been up to. A lot, actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You've been out a lot. <laughs> so I did, I, I did, I did two more sections of the Tahoe rim trail. Uh, one by myself because it was a very, very dry section. So I had some big, big water carries. There was, there was one point on the second day leaving camp and heading back to my car where I was carrying four liters. Whoa. Yeah. And that sucks. Yeah. And a liter weighs like about two pounds. So do the math on that. Um, and it was like from, from where I camped, the, the next water source would have been like a place I would have to drive like to like a seven 11 or something like there wasn't any more water left so the four liters that i carried away from camp like i even had to ration that because there was no chance of getting any more at all and it was you know that section of trail sits somewhere between six and seven thousand feet above sea level and it was still like 84 degrees or 85 degrees during the day because it was just so so hot like oppressively hot so I'm like wanting to drink more and wanting to drink more. And then I'm like, looking. I'm like, oh, okay, I did there. That's a liter gone. You're going to die if you're not careful, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, I mean, it was a gorgeous trip. It was super fun. Um, 
I met a ton of like super late season PCT through hikers who were, who were northbound. And if you were northbound in the Tahoe basin, when I was on the trail, you were not going to finish. Um, and then I also met the first wave of southbound hikers, which was cool because those folks, if you were where I was and you were heading south, you were finishing early, like you were crushing it. So it was kind of cool to get two sides of that same coin, like talking to a bunch of the northbound people. And they're like, no, we know we're not going to make it like we know, we know. And then talking to the southbound people and like, I'm going to be done like five days early. <laughs> it's it just like the, the t- two attitude differences and the you could tell just in the the way they were carrying themselves and and their approach to it you know there was definitely like these folks are kind of down and a little dumpy but they don't want to quit they want to keep they want to get as many miles as they can and these other folks are just like i might even take an extra zero i might just get a motel room and have an extra night (laughs) it was it was just kind of a neat little micro environment to meet all these different hikers who were having completely opposite experiences who i'll say and the storms came in up north like a lot really recently so i hope that some of them got hotel rooms yeah and some of it like the uh i guess like the last 22 or 23 miles of trail is closed because of a fire so there's all these people that walked 2600 plus miles and they they don't get to finish. They don't get to go into Canada and, and touch the terminus and be have that moment. You know, I can't imagine how heartbreaking that must be to have walked from Mexico to almost Canada. God, like, that sucks. Yeah, it's just, but there's this big fire and it's just too dangerous. People can't get through. Um, then the next section of trail I did was as as you know, and as anyone who's listened to this podcast probably knows. Uh, I have a tendency to plan some overly ambitious trips. So I, I had planned out a section from uh, Echo Summit to Kingsbury South, which is just over 39 miles. I gave myself two days and one night. And because things aren't hard enough, I brought my dog. So now I'm carrying food and water for two. I'm looking for campsites that are near water because, you know, Kiki's a 74 pound Husky shepherd mix. She needs a lot of water with a lot of fur, but she doesn't carry her stuff. So she carries everything, but her own water with, with the dog packs, you're only supposed to put like a certain percentage of their body weight, or you could cause some real damage to their spine and their hips and, and their shoulders and joints and stuff. So I err on the side of, lighter than that like i don't remember the exact number off the top of my head i could google it real quick but i'm not gonna um but let's just <laughs> say it's like 12 percent of their body weight or whatever you know uh, right. i go 10 right. you know like i i don't even try to push it to like the recommended limit I, I try to keep it less than that so that she's more comfortable and i kind of bear the burden of that extra weight myself um so on that trip in particular she carried everything but her own water and luckily, like the first day, there was water everywhere. It was why I have never experienced that on the Tahoe Rim Trail, where it's just like there were stretches. There was one 10 mile stretch where I didn't carry any water. Whoa. There was just so much of it that anytime I was thirsty, I would just go, okay, well, there's going to be a creek in like five feet. So I'll just filter what I need, drink it, and bail empty. 
Second day was the polar opposite. There was no water anywhere. So I was carrying, yeah. So I was carrying water for both of us for most of the second day, um, which gets heavy fast. Like it wasn't as dry as the first section of trail, but there was definitely like, like there was like a 10 mile gap with no water. And then there was like a seven mile gap with no water, which when you're carrying for two is pretty significant. Um, but they were both absolutely gorgeous trips. I had perfect weather for both trips. And then the big, big one, my buddy Brian and I went to Bears Lake Basin and Bears Lake Basin is this absolutely epic, just field of granite in the middle of nowhere. Um, like if you look at the, if you look at it on a map, there's no roads, there's no trails, there's no, like you have to walk there. You, you can get there by on foot or like maybe by helicopter and that's it. Those are the two options. And it, it's just absolutely wild country. There's no set trail. It's all like route finding and, and kind of choose your own adventure once you get out there. And, uh, it was, I can't wait to share the video for it. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, the videos for that trip will be out. And it was just it, easily my favorite trip of the year so far. And that includes the Yosemite trip that I took going into like Spiller Canyon and all that. This was by far my favorite thing I've done all year. Why? It was just every. So it, it was some of the hardest hiking I've ever done, like the entire the first day was just shy of seven miles i think and we gained 4400 feet of elevation oh wow that's a hell of a grade it was big yeah and then the second day we just kept going up because we didn't do all the up on the first day we had more up um and then there was on the second day there were two huge passes that we had to go over and it's not like this area it's, it's not like when you have to go over like a pass on the Pacific crest trail or, or, you know, there's no manicured trail. You're just like, you're like bouldering. And at certain points it's like class two to class three scrambling and there's no set path. You just kind of have to find your way up and, you know, you follow Karen's and you follow footprints in the dirt and you're just hoping the people that you're following weren't complete idiots, you know, and that you, you choose the right path and, at a couple of points we chose poorly and we had to like navigate our way back to like safer terrain. And it was just, it was so difficult and so hard. And along on a lot of those kind of trips where the hiking is just so physically demanding, it's easy to lose your spirit. It's easy to like get, you know, down on yourself and, and feel even, even a little depressed, which is a weird thing to say when you're out in the middle of nature, but when the hiking is just so physically demanding, it's really easy to be like, Oh, you suck at this. You're not, you're no good at this. You should, why are you even doing this? And none of those thoughts creeped into our heads on this trip because it was just like, even at its most difficult, every direction we looked was a gorgeous, stunning view. Like that you couldn't look anywhere and not just be like, Oh my God, God, look at that. That is amazing. And so it's like, even like when we'd get to the point, there was a point when we were going over uh, Feather Pass, which was by far the hardest part of the trip. It took us, 
it, it took us a very, very long time to travel a very short distance. But even in that, like when we were starting to feel a little disheartened, we'd come up over like this false summit and you're just in like this gorgeous meadow with this creek slowly creeping through the middle of it. And you're just like, I'm more tired than I've ever been. I'm bleeding from several spaces. I, I, I couldn't want to set up my tent more than I do right now. And we have like six more hours of this. Like I am, <laughs> I am done and I want to just lay down. Uh, and then there's this view and you're just like, you know what? We could do this for six more hours. This, this is fucking cool. Let's just keep going. <laughs> so it was just, it was such an amazing trip and it's, I talk about this a little bit in the video, um, but since the video will be out before the episode, I don't mind. It's not really a spoiler because the video is already out. Um, but uh, something I said in the video, and it was just one of those things that, and our guest today, we have a guest, which we have not mentioned, um, can probably relate to this. There, there are moments on the trail when, when you do the YouTube thing, when you do the filming thing and you do the sharing on social media thing, there are moments on the trail where you see something and you're just compelled in that moment immediately to talk about it. And, and you may not, it hasn't, it wasn't like a scripted moment. It wasn't a moment that you had planned on saying anything. Um, but there was this moment when we, we went over the top of feather pass and we got our first real view of bears Lake basin, which is just this absolutely gorgeous area. Like if you have, the 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 means to get there if you have the physical capability to get there i highly recommend everybody go there because it is one of the most beautiful places i've ever been and we we came up over the the, the lip of feather pass and just bears lake basin opened up in front of us just in just this magnificent area and i was just like man, the the allure of these places the reason these kind of trips are so special is the difficulty like you have to earn it. You can't just go there. You can't just drop your car at a trailhead and take like a three mile, you know, nicely graded trail up and see this thing. Like you have to, you have to bleed a little bit to get to these places. And it, there's something very, very special about standing in a place that most people won't. Yes. And also, was that like the best transition into our topic today that has ever happened? <laughs> I didn't plan it that way, but that really did that really did work out pretty well. All right. So do we want to introduce our guest? Absolutely. So today we have with us Kalman Tika. Did I pronounce that correctly? I hope. Tinka. Tinka. Close. Very close. Ah, I was so close. Uh, who goes by the trail <laughs> name Ghost Mule? and has a YouTube channel and corresponding Instagram page called Everyday Backpacker. Uh, and Calman and I have met essentially through YouTube and become like real life friends, which is one of the things that I love about social media. I have, I have a very love-hate relationship with social media, but this is one yeah. of the things that I truly, truly love is that I can meet someone digitally and then they become someone that I just like, I talk to like a couple times a week. Like we text back and forth a couple times a week. We we've uh, bounced video ideas and, and thumbnail ideas off each other and stuff like that. So we've like, we've become like real life friends because we both have YouTube channels. And I think that's super cool. 
I agree. It's pretty awesome. Uh, cool. Side note, I'm actually going to start a YouTube channel finally that isn't Yay. just for the gym. Oh, nice. Because that one's not as exciting. It's like, hey, here's how to do 150 different things. Uh, but that I'm hoping to get into a lot the... of people from doing it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just actually... use it for demo videos, but I'm excited to build a YouTube around like adventure. Nice. I, if you if you need any advice, you got two of us right here. You know, I will reach out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love helping people with that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, give us a, a quick introduction of yourself. Talk about what you're into, what you like to do, um, you know, whatever pops into your head. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's kind of been an interesting journey uh, getting here, but you know, I'm pretty avid um, uh, backpacker and I've uh, done a couple other things, you know, mountain biking, uh, a little bit of diving. So I have done both the up and the down. Um, yeah. and, uh, although I'm one of those guys that straps the tank, the tank to my back and takes the air with me and then has <laughs> to hang out while the nitrogen bubbles exit. Um, but, uh, so I originally grew up in Ohio. Um, so I'm a flatlander by, uh, by design. Um, and, uh, early on, you know, it was pretty, pretty basic. You know, I was a boy scout. My dad really got me into a lot of outdoor stuff. I got a chance to go to, Yosemite when I was 18, uh, with him and my uncle and just generally loved it, but mostly just, you know, light car camping type stuff. My dad and I attempted, uh, backpacking, uh, when I was 16 and his favorite part of that, which I, I still think is quite exaggerated is he says, I faked an asthma attack on the way up the hill. Um, we were grossly overloaded, had no idea what we were doing. It was a miserable trip. And just like most of those miser miserable trips has some of the best stories. Um, but uh, then I went on to do a 100-mile trek in uh, New Mexico with the Boy Scouts at Philmont Scout Ranch. And that was really most of my outdoor experiences uh, early on. Um, and then out of college, I became a firefighter paramedic. Um, so I did both of them. And... Uh, with that job comes a lot of stress and trauma, and I was looking for ways to mitigate some of those uh, trauma responses. And I re-found the outdoors and got really interested in that. Um, started doing more backpacking trips with some friends, volunteering for um, local park districts, doing uh, naturalist stuff, environmental education, um, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, and I got to the point where I found I enjoyed doing that more than I enjoyed, um, dealing with the negative aspects of, uh, firefighting and paramedic, uh, being a paramedic. I'm not sure that's a word. Um, oh, I like paramedic. Paramedicing. Um, but, uh, you know, you spend your entire career. If you interacted with me in my career, it was probably the worst day of your life versus the outdoor education aspect where, you know, I got to introduce people to stuff that I was passionate about. And so um, I, I made the decision to go back to college at 30. Um, and I took uh, ecotourism and adventure travel and natural historical interpretation. And um, they're really fancy titles for being able to teach people about the outdoors and then also being able to lead people in outdoor activities. Um, that's where I became a diver. Um, we did a study abroad in the Bahamas for a few months and we did uh scuba diving windsurfing sea kayaking uh sailing 
And tropical flora and fauna was really the only college class that we took down there. Um, and, oh, shit, that's uh, so, a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, that's an impressive yeah. list. It was a lot of things that I ended up being <laughs> But uh, I definitely gave him a lot uh, the the old college try. Um, I, I suck at windsurfing. All of the pictures of me was falling, um, <laughs> and uh, but diving was definitely a lot of fun. Um, had a lot of really cool experiences uh, while doing that, um, including a very eventful night dive. Um, but uh, yeah, then I graduated from school and worked for Ohio state parks for a while as a naturalist, uh, environmental educator and had an opportunity to come out to Montana temporarily and temporarily turned into permanently. Um, I'd moved out here in 2014. I had been out here ever since. And apparently when you take somebody from Ohio and you stick them in the mountains, they don't go back to Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so, uh, now I, I work in the outdoor industry. I work in retail. Uh, I sell backpacking equipment as a, um, gear specialist. So of course, you know, YouTube was the next, uh, logical thing since most of the videos are about gear, which I hate. Um, but you um, hate? I, you know, I spend all of my life personally doing gear. I learn about gear. I review gear. I speak gear. I tell people what pack they should get and why I think they should get and all this. And so being that my hobby is, uh, also outdoors, uh, backpacking and, and YouTube, um, I, I find myself struggling to get through the gear videos. I do them because they're somewhat of a necessary evil. And, and, you know, obviously I have some knowledge to expand upon that. Um, but you know, I, I don't know if J uh, Jim agrees with this or not, but it's, it's tougher to motivate myself to do the gear videos after a while. Um, cause they're all very similar. And so I kind of tend to want to be more into the, why do we do this? Why is it fun? What do we get out of it? Um, and, um, kind of go beyond that gear portion of it, but you know, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, so I did, I started the YouTube channel uh, a couple of years after I started working in, in the outdoor industry. Um, and it just kind of started as a, a lark thing uh, to share my adventures with some friends that told me that they enjoyed living vicariously through my videos. And it turned into something that I really enjoyed. It's a great creative outlet, um, which, you know, is always good in dealing with um, some of the stuff that I deal with uh, post um public service uh, with the traumas and stuff and being able to, to kind of give some direction and uh, meaning behind the things that I do. And um, yeah, it kind of brings me to here. I heard Jim on another podcast um, and then learned of this podcast and started listening to it and uh, uh, kind of reached out through him uh, to him and we, yeah, became friends and here we are. Yeah. So I absolutely agree with you on the gear video thing. Like, I begrudgingly do gear reviews and like, and I, and I think you're kind of in the same boat as I am where our channels are relatively small. So people aren't lining up to like give us free stuff. So anything we review, anything that we essentially make a free commercial for we've paid for we've, we've purchased and it's, it's this, you get kind of stuck on the, in this weird you know, we're, we're just kind of like hanging off the cross of commerce um, because 
you have to do the gear videos or you don't get subscribers. And I hate them. I, I struggle. They are, they are so hard. If you could see the blooper reel that goes along with like a 10 minute fucking review, it's, <laughs> it takes me, it takes me longer to film a review sometimes than it does to film like a whole trip. And like, I have to film the whole trip. Like I have to be out there for the whole time, you know? And sometimes I'll do a review and I'm just like, Fuck, I, I'll just, I'll come back to this tomorrow. I don't want to do this right now. And then I got to like, remember what I was wearing. And it's, it's a fucking nightmare. I hate gear reviews. Um, Man, it's so funny. Cause like we've touched on this before and I'm so tempted to go down about 12 different tangents <laughs> in this just alone. I'm like taking notes over here. Um, but it, it's interesting. Cause like, I have always perceived YouTubers as fucking loving gear reviews because there's like gear review and gear review and gear review. I'm like, y'all love your gear, huh? Well, I think I, it's good. Yeah, there's there's different kinds of YouTubers. Uh, and, and I think as with anything you do in life, there's different kinds of hikers, there's different kinds of paddleboarders, there's different kinds of free divers, there's different kinds right. of paramedics. There's just different, everybody, anybody who does anything approaches it differently from somebody else. And I think, I think some people genuinely do love doing gear reviews and, oh, yeah. and they're good at it. And that's great. And I appreciate them existing because I, I like to watch those videos and figure out if I want to buy a thing. Um, I am not one of those people. And I think like, I, I want to say this in a way that, doesn't directly call <laughs> anyone out, but also gets the point across there. There's a few channels that are in my circle, people that I subscribe to people who subscribe to me who will fucking review anything. And like it, when your channel gets past a certain number of subscribers, everybody wants to fucking reach out to you. Oh, review this shelter, review this jacket, review this knife, review this, whatever it is. And there are some like legit companies that are small companies that are like, Hey, would you review this for us? And I'm like, you know what? I will, because you're awesome and you're doing a cool thing. And I genuinely like the thing that you're selling, but there's a lot of stuff where it's just like, like I could literally start a gear company tomorrow without anything. Like there, there are companies you can reach out to. All I'd need is to design a logo. And I go, okay, slap my logo on this shelter and this sleeping bag. And then that's my company. And I sell, I sell tents and sleeping bags, but I don't make anything. I don't do anything. They're all just rebranded, you know, and, and you'll look at a lot of these gear companies and you're like, okay, well, that's just this exact same tent in a different color scheme, but everything else about it's identical. And anybody could do that. The three of us could get together tomorrow with a minimal amount of capital and we could start a gear company just rebranding kind of crappy gear. Um, and those kinds of companies reach out to smaller YouTube channels, like people under 5,000 subs, you know, between like, between like 500 and 5,000. And they're like, hey, we're going to send you this great thing and then you can review it. Um, and then the catch to that is usually that you're required to give it a five-star review. Um, and the way they get you with that is you buy it. And then when the review comes out, they reimburse you. Right. But if you do a shitty review, 
then they don't they don't send you your money back. So you're, right. you're kind of roped into this thing where it's just like, you're like we're going to buy a five star review from this small channel. And there are with a gear. number of chance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. We, I mean, to a degree with gear, but also with money, like they'll send you money. Uh, right. So and, uh, there's a there's a not insignificant number of smaller channels who take all those offers. And so with a lot of these gear reviews, you kind of have to take them with a grain of salt because it's just like, did this person get paid to say this was a five star tent or do they really honestly believe this is a good tent? Right. Sorry. Some of, some of them are sponsorships and like that I understand, but uh, I've been offered many sponsorships. It's like, constant that people offer you to send you whatever thing so that you can post it in whatever thing and the bigger your account is the more that they want to do that da 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 but like i i originally was like man i'm really loving the fact that you are both like fuck this this sucks so you have to do it but like it sucks because i and i've expressed this a little bit on this on this podcast but like I think that the focus on gear totally sucks. I think the focus on experience is really, really critical. And like, for me, especially coming from like a background where I, I, I didn't grow up affluent. Uh, I didn't have, I'm still not anything close to affluent, but like, uh, I didn't grow up with the, uh, amount of money to spend on all of these things. And when I got back into going into the backcountry, it was exclusively with all of the shitty gear I wore when I was a kid. It's like all nineties, Jim made fun of me. Um, <laughs> but like, I love the nineties on- stuff. Oh, yeah, except for the fact that it weighs like 25 pounds before you put anything in it. Uh, sure. but like, um but like the idea that you have to have all this fancy stuff i think really is a block for a lot of folks especially for opening up outdoor activities outdoor like adventure things for for all different diverse folks right so we're trying to create a space where all of us can feel good going outside and the concept that you have to buy a hundred dollars two hundred dollars a thousand twelve hundred three thousand dollars worth of things before you can go and do it can can be a hindrance and so like it's funny i uh i guess have gotten enough traction on the internet that people have started asking me what gear i wear uh diving which has been a strange experience uh so i do not consider myself good in any way i'm like yeah i just hold my breath i don't know i haven't gotten eaten yet (laughs) um but like i am so resistant to that because i don't want to imply that you have to get this like nice quilted patagonia suit that i actually got used on poshmark um but like that is very very expensive to go and dive that the first time i went out I just wore two wetsuits on top of each other, which apparently you're not supposed to do. Um, And that like, you can, when I started going outside, I was wearing jeans. And when I first started going backpacking, I actually just had a duffel bag because I was a little, little kid. Um, And my parents were like a duffel bag, bandana. You're not long enough to fill out this insulate pad. We're just going to cut that off, pad the sleeves. Let's go. Um, and so here I am, this little kid in the backcountry with a with a duffel bag and a bandana and, you know, some sneakers I wore to school and I'm backpacking. <laughs> and so, like, you don't need it all. And so uh, the gear reviews are valuable because we do we do love our gear once you get into it. Uh, but like the focus on them has always driven me a little bit crazy. So it's fun to have two YouTubers yeah. be like, God damn it. <laughs> 
and, this, and the other thing too, there's a bit of a catch 22, not only it, like Jim talked about with the companies, but also with the audience. Um, even though you might put a thing out there saying, Hey, what kind of stuff you want to see? And everybody will say, Oh, I really want to watch, you know, the trip videos and I want to do this and that. But any outdoor YouTuber will tell you that if you want to get views, you do gear reviews. People watch gear. They like gear. And I think the reason why they like the gear is because the gear, in a sense, is the great equalizer amongst the backpacking community. Doesn't matter if you're a PCT through hiker or if you are a person who's locking down fastest known times or if you're just a weekend warrior or if you're the guy who's kind of sitting on the sideline just wanting to get into it. Everybody, no matter who or how they hike, needs that gear. And so I think it's something that people can kind of latch on to and um, feel like they have a bigger slice of the bread and they give themselves credit for. I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like it's something that allows them to kind of say, okay, I can get in this conversation because I know about that piece of gear. And so I guess it does have its place as well, but it, it is tough as a as a creator because you you, you want people to watch your stuff, but... Um, if you try to focus on things um, and completely go away from gear, you're, you are going to have a bit of a sacrifice. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, you know, looking at my channel stats, like all of the videos I have that are more frequently watched that, you know, I have a thousand or more views on are all gear videos. And then all the trip videos, you know, significantly less numbers. Um and like you said, it, it is kind of the great equalizer. I, I really like, I, I really like that viewpoint in particular because, like, no matter who you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter what area you want to go backpacking in, you have to have a backpack. You have to have something to sleep in. You know, you, there's 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 certain pieces of gear that you just can't do this hobby without, and you can spend hundreds of dollars or you can spend thousands of dollars but at the end of the day it all kind of does the same thing like that's yeah there's benefits like i mean my tent weighs less than two pounds obviously there's a huge benefit to that when i'm on the trail but am i going to have any better camping experience than someone whose tent weighs five pounds probably not you know i mean we're both out we're both under the stars we're both in the trees so there, there's kind of a give and take there. And I think for a lot, for a long time, especially on social media and in particular, I think on YouTube with the rise of two very specific YouTubers whose names I will not mention, um, there was such a hyper focus on base weight. Everybody wanted to know what your base weight was. Everybody wanted to know, you know, oh, what's, what's your base weight? What's your fucking cares? You know, doesn't matter. Who cares? Like, we're all out here. We're all doing the same thing. If I'm out here carrying 40 pounds and I'm doing the same mileage and I'm seeing the same sites and I'm getting, you know, getting to the same places, are you really honestly trying to tell me you're having a that much better of experience because you're carrying 20 pounds? I don't buy it. Okay. So, Ghost Mule, you said you wanted to focus on the why. The why the hell are we out here doing this as opposed to the gear? So I threw us off in a far direction of gear <laughs> and whining about it. Let's reel it back in. Let's bring it back to the why. Jim, do you want to talk about our topic a little more? Yeah. So 
when we had first kind of discussed having Kalman on the episode, the idea was that we were going to talk about kind of the philosophy behind backpacking, like why, what drives us, what motivates us to get out on trail. And because Holly does other things that are equally adventurous and equally cool, I wanted to expand that idea and talk about, you know, what motivates us to go on adventures, whether, whether they be backpacking or free diving or, or motorcycle riding. I mean, my wife's gone for the week right now with three of her friends. They're riding up and down highway one on their motorcycles. Like what, what motivates people to, to escape these kind of mundane everyday, you know, oh, we're going to work, we're going to the grocery store, we're cleaning the house, we're, we're doing our laundry. What, what is the driving force that takes us from this kind of comfortable, predictable existence and puts us in places like Bears Lake Basin, where I just was, where, you know, you can definitely die if you screw something up. Like what, what's the why? Why do we do this? Kalman, do you want to take us away on the beginning? Oh, man. Um, you know, I think, you know, it's one of those big things where I think, you know, there's lots of different ways that you could answer this. And every person I think is going to find their own different way of explaining to it. You know, for me, my personal experience, um, for me, it was a way of uh, initially as a bit of escapism, uh, as a way to kind of get away from, you know, the heavy stuff that I was dealing with on a day-to-day basis in my personal life and kind of be able to, you know, really get back into a simpler existence, you know, where my biggest concern right now is staying warm, staying fed, um, you know, staying dry and those kinds of things. And so it was really kind of an opportunity for me to um, kind of quiet all of the stuff that was going on up here based on the things that I was experiencing from day to day. And then, you know, that led to finding out that, you know, I was getting out in these experiences and I was maybe putting myself into situations that were a little bit beyond my comfort zone um, and finding that um, those experiences were the ones where I felt the most alive and that opportunity to kind of um, grasp things. Um, you know, cause the, the reality is, is that, um, you don't run into burning buildings for a living if you don't have a little bit of a taste for adrenaline. Um, and whereas <laughs> this one, that adrenaline didn't come with third degree burn potential, that potential. Um, and so, uh, but able to kind of experience that and then, um, kind of share it with people and, um, kind of enjoy and experience that, like, like Jim said earlier, you that not everybody gets to experience because you have to work for it. Um, and so, you know, that kind of became my, my impetus towards it and how it eventually became my, my career and my whole life goal is because um, I saw a lot of people whose lives were tragically cut short and um, unexpected ways. And, um, you know, having a few people, them sharing with me um, in those moments about things that they wish they had done. And at the end of the day, do you look back and you say, I'm really glad I made all that money? Or do you say, I really had all, all those really awesome experiences. And so being able to trade in and being able to go, um, you know, back and look at all these wonderful, amazing things I've been, I've been experiencing. Even if you're not making videos, like Jim said, there are those times you're out there and you're just gobsmacked by what 
what you're experiencing. You come around, around, around that ridge. And, um, my, my, uh, I noticed when I go through my videos, my constant tagline is absolutely gorgeous. Those moments where I just utter that word, absolutely gorgeous, whether it's to the camera or it's to myself or to people, um, you know, I'm around, uh, we did a trip in, the, uh, last year in, um, the big horns. And it was an area that, uh, the guy who I uh, hike with a lot, um, phantom, um, who's 72 right now. Um, he spent 27 years as an outdoor, uh, ranger there. Um, and so this place is sacred to him and he had kind of like built this place up and then getting around the bend. I was the first one up the hill because they were coming up, uh, still coming up from the snow, um, bank that we were coming up. And I turned around the corner and I looked at it and I just immediately uttered the words, holy shit. <laughs> and just was completely just, and then instantaneous tears, uh, cause I'm a crier. Um, but, uh, it was just a visceral feeling of both at the same time, how honored I was to be there, but also how insignificant I was in that moment, um, based on what I was seeing. And it's just the gambit of emotions that come with it. Um, and these emotions come free of any kind of, you know, usually any kind of traumatic, um, baggage along with it. So, uh, kind of got off on a tangent there, but, um, like I say, even when one person can have so many different motivations. Oh yeah, definitely. I don't, I, I haven't known anybody who had like a single motivator to do things as big as epic adventures, especially when they take us really far from home, right? Like Jim, you can walk right out of your front door and be really close to trails. Uh, but you've, done really far trips you don't you don't do that because you have one thing that you're excited about or maybe maybe you do right there's that one book about walking the pct to get over uh, a death and i get that but the majority of us it's it's a little bit of this and a lot of that right yeah definitely i mean and for me like if you had asked me that same question even two years ago you would have gotten a different answer than you're going to get tonight um, and, and most definitely, if you had asked me that question prior to my near death experience, you would have gotten a completely different answer because my entire focus on everything has changed since that experience. And, uh, and I think to a degree, like, yeah, there's, I don't think there is one like singular focus that anyone could give. I don't, I think, I think anyone asked this question is going to go off on a tangent. I'm good at yeah. that too. So <laughs> I think all of us are good at that. I think if you're good at that, you start a podcast. <laughs> I think that's actually <laughs> or a, YouTube a rule. Channel. Yeah. I think that's actually a rule. <laughs> Otherwise you'd run out of things to talk about. Right. Uh, I don't, it's so funny. Like I feel, I feel weird, but also grateful that, I don't try to necessarily escape my life to go explore. It's it's like integrated into my life. Like I live my life so that I can explore and I explore to augment my life. And it and it is it is all sort of one. Um and I think that modernity and modern life very often needs punctuation, right? Especially if you do the same thing day in and day out. And 
for better or worse, some days I don't feel grateful for the fact that my life is, you know, constantly changing in many different ways as an entrepreneur and coach, but like most days I do. But if your days are the same all the time, you you want to have a thing that punctuates that, that changes it. And sometimes that's our motivators. For me, I have this like internal extremely overwhelming drive to see as much as I fucking can before I die. I want to see everything I possibly can. I want to see every animal face. I want to see every mountaintop. I want to see every fucking coral reef. I want to see it all. And there's a sense of urgency in our current time because we have climate collapse. We have these things like wildfires that take away our, our, our wilderness areas. We have um, acidification that takes away so much as like 60% of a giant reef in one year. And, and you never know when that thing is, is going to be there again. And, and for me, that's my biggest driving force is like, yeah, sure. I would love to rest more and have a normal people Sunday, but like, what if that grove of trees isn't there when I, you know, the, in a, in a week, you never know. So I, I have to see it. And it's, it's this, like, it, it's it's a drive that's like relentless. I can relate I to a lot of that. <laughs> it's those moments that I think tend to put us into or put things into perspective for us. You know, whether it's standing on top of a mountain range and looking out the vastness of that, or I've also had the same experience uh, when we dove. Uh, the f- deepest I ever dove was 112 feet. Um, and we sat on the edge of a 5,000 foot deep trench. And all you see is these deep, blues uh, all around i'm sure holly you've probably experienced that before and that moment of just i'm a speck on the edge of this this reef and i'm staring down into nothingness and realizing just how you know vast the things are around us and being able to experience that even just a little bit um knowing that so many people that you come across in your daily life aren't going to experience that that same thing. Um, suddenly, how could you not look at that and say I, I, how blessed you are or, uh, or honored you are to be able to be there at that exact moment in time? And it becomes worth all of that work and uncomfortableness and, um, you know, being stuck at a, a safety dive for the next 15 minutes to let the nitrogen come out of your system, which is really fun. <laughs> yeah, you guys have to deal with the bubbles, but you do get to sit down at 112 for a long time. So it's a give and a take. But yeah, I <laughs> I, I took the submarine to uh, 2200 feet um, in Honduras. Wow. And we were we were in this canyon that was like the biggest like, like, honestly, like being at the bottom of any terrestrial giant canyon that you can imagine. Um, I don't know the dimensions of the Grand Canyon, so I'm not going to compare. I I can't be like, that was 200 feet and this was a thousand feet. And so it directly compares to this, but it was like standing at the bottom of a vast, vast canyon, except for we were floating at the bottom of a vast, vast canyon and then eventually went over it. And and, and I was looking at a, uh, they're called pinwheels and they haven't evolved for 15 million years because they have no need to. There's also uh, a sponge uh, in my in my view that has been alive, not its species, but this particular sponge, it's about five feet across, it's giant. 
it's been alive since before uh theoretically whatever you believe but jesus um and i'm thinking there's no weather there's no light there's no nothing there's just a world that exists and it continues to exist that basically no almost no humans will see or experience or hey kiki um uh, and and the, the the vastness of these spaces is just immense and beautiful and humbling and 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 those things change you forever in in the best of ways. Yeah, absolutely. I think so for me it, right now today it, it's twofold. Um, everything in my regular life is, I, I'm I'm very much at the center of, of everything. You know, I I sing for a band and and I book all of our shows and and do all of like kind of the the administrative work that comes along with being in a band. And then at my job, I'm very much you know a central figure in the production of of just you know just keeping the business open. And then I come home and you know, the dogs are relying on me. The wife is relying on me. The house existing relies on me going to work every day. So I, I have this very kind of centered life where it's like everything, everything needs me. And, and I feel very big and I, it feels kind of overwhelming. And when I'm out in these wild spaces, uh, I feel so tiny and so insignificant and, and, you know, nature doesn't care if I'm there or not. Like it doesn't give a shit. And, 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 and a lot of times, a lot of places that I visited, it kind of actively tries to get me out. You know, <laughs> like there, there are places when you go and the place just goes, no, I don't want you to be here. <laughs> and so true. So I, I think for me, it's, it's f- even for the briefest moment, you know, even if it's, you know, a couple of days, I get to feel very, very tiny and very small and very unimportant. And it's a stress relief because it's just like, you know, you, uh, there's a lot of weight on your shoulders when, when everything around you kind of relies on your existence. You know, like if I, if I just fucked off and went off and just did my own thing, like so many things around me that I care about would collapse. And it's, it's, nice to be able to get out into the woods and be able to get out into this just these huge just massive landscapes with these epic views and just be like yeah no nothing here cares if i'm here yeah you know i will speak to one thing that i i love escaping into and and one of one of the driving forces and and that's kind of a a reflection of of that like the the weight being taken off and for me it's sound um and wilderness spaces diving even when you have cacophonous nature sounds they feel like quiet compared to city and i spend all my time in a gym in oakland right so the city is loud you can hear the freeway every second of the day um you know from from morning to night my my whole world is very very loud music bars talking you know everything that goes into that and and i love that i love that so much and i love that energy and i also love the like immense relief that comes from not loud yeah yeah absolutely 
there's, and it's something like I've, I've tried to explain and there's, there's just no way to articulate it to someone who hasn't experienced it, but there is, there is an extra level of quiet that you can only experience in certain places. And if you, if you haven't been backpacking into like the actual, like back country of a place, you know, if you're, if your backpacking experience is limited to uh, easily accessible trails that have highway noise and things like that, you've, you've not truly experienced this specific level of quiet. And I assume having never experienced it, but I'm going to assume that being underwater is that like times 10. Yeah. So in, in natural spaces, we get, we get total quiet sometimes, but most of the time we get what I think of as nature quiet or wilderness quiet. And that is uh, the wind in the trees. If there's enough wind, you get this cool creaking sound in trees. Um, And in different areas, you get different sounds of wind in trees, which is one of my favorite things in the entire world. Like in Colorado, it sounds totally different than it does on the west side of the Sierras. And, you know, underwater, you get uh, little fishes eating coral, and that gets absolutely cacophonous. Um, Sometimes you can hear whale song. Uh, at one point during the Oahu dives, we were getting clicked at by something we could not see. So there was some cetacean that could see us and we couldn't see them. So you're hearing clicks, you're hearing song, you're hearing fish. Uh, sometimes you can unfortunately hear human sounds, but very rarely. And so you get you get nature quiet, which sometimes is actually quieter feeling than actual quiet. So total yeah. tangent here. But it just when you talked about the wind through the trees, and this is something anyone who has backpacked for a long distance is it can relate to this. And I, I guarantee Ghost Mule is going to light up as soon as I say this. There are times on trail when you are a long time between water sources and your brain clicks like, is that the wind in the trees or is that a creek? And you're almost always disappointed because it's the wind in the trees and you're still thirsty. Yeah. I thought that when I was in Colorado, I thought it was the coolest thing because it sounds clicky. It sounds like uh, they're like little round leaves and they click against each other. And so they don't sound like water. And I was like, Oh, they sound distinctly like trees. That's yeah. See, and that would be less disappointing. I think when you're on a really <laughs> long haul and you're like, I just drank my last water, like, but like being able to tell like def- that that's definitively, that is the sound of the wind through the trees. And it is, there's no possibility that's a Creek, but like in the Sierras, when it's all evergreen, there are definitely times when the wind hits the trees in just the right way. And you're like, that's a Creek. And you come around the corner, you're like, Fuck. No, it's not. <laughs> Fucking pine trees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, also too, I found that you know, if you spend a significant amount of time, you know, I think initially when you kind of hit the trail and you're, you're going away from those sounds of the world and, and the cacophony of, of sounds that we don't even realize we're hearing, hearing, it's almost all becomes background noise. And um, I've even seen people who have never experienced, you know, true wilderness before almost have anxiety um, as they, as they leave that sound. It's like, I, I need to hear stuff. But then after a while, 
it's like you become hypersensitive to certain sounds. Um, you know, it's interesting. You talked about the eating the coral. I remember distinctly on a dive, uh, we could hear a parrotfish eating the coral. And it's just a very like distinctive like sound. And it sounds like it's everywhere. And it, cause all the sound is so magnified. Um, or, you know, um, being able to pick up a, a bird song that you're familiar with, you know, um, like, um, you know, being out at night and then hearing a screech owl or something in, in the distance and being able to, to pick up on that. Or, um, and I, I know Jim's talked about this in videos, but like going out in the snow and how the snow equally muffles, but also the creaking sound of your footsteps becomes enhanced and being able to kind of like tune down the background noise and then being able to focus on, on um, sounds that are more significant. So kind of a, a funny story sprung into my mind when you were talking about people having anxiety about the quietness, you know, just the, the amount of quiet that there is. Uh, I took a good friend of mine on his very first backpacking trip, and then he came with us on that Yosemite trip as well. And there was a couple of moments where it was just like he was having not necessarily anxiety, but pretty close to it, like as close as you can get to it without like the taking the full dive um about his phone because there was no signal out there you know and he couldn't get and like it was funny because i don't know when this shift happened for me but i remember having a little bit of anxiety on some of my earlier trips that i didn't have signal not because i couldn't like check facebook or check instagram or whatever but more because like if something happens I don't have any way to get a hold of anybody because this is before I was carrying a satellite communicator, you know, which now I carry on every hike. Um, but at the time I didn't. So my only lifeline, if something went sideways was this cell phone. And so I remember feeling a little bit of anxiety about that aspect of it. But at some point there was a shift and the happiest moment for me on any hike is when I see the no signal thing on my phone or I'm like, all right, now we're on a hike. This is now we're in the real thing, you know? And, 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 uh, and this is, this is something that is driving a lot of my friends completely nuts, but I turned my ringer off on the Yosemite trip and I have not turned it back on. Yes. <laughs> so fact. Yeah. So like my the ringer on my phone has been off for about two and a half months now. And I have no intention of ever turning it back on. I love this so much. The no signal is absolutely one of my favorite parts. Um the being untethered is extremely stressful if you have not done it often and i understand that anxiety absolutely like i think it's funny because uh when it comes to backpacking i find that the biggest fear most people have is starving like i'm like yo we're going out for one night like you won't die even if we brought no food like you'd be fine right. um you're not gonna starve and also bears are not as prevalent as you think um but like <laughs> Uh, that being untethered to me is really liberating. Um, both the, both the uh, no signal, but also the, it's just me or it's just me and whoever I'm with. And 
whatever comes comes and it, it's it's us and we're here and or it's me and we're here and and we'll deal with whatever comes as it comes and and I think that there's something really beautiful about relying on yourself and the people that you choose to rely on in those spaces. But um, just yesterday, I was telling one of my athletes like, yeah, so I permanently have do not disturb on my phone. So if you have an iPhone, it always says that I have do not disturb on that will basically never change unless I'm expecting a call. Um, And and they were like, oh, interesting. And I was like, because I'm either uh, at work with an athlete uh, at work and focused or I'm not in service. And they were like, those are the three ways that you are. It's <laughs> <laughs> not compute. I was like, yeah, I mean, it's a good life. <laughs> that, that actually leads directly into the, the second half of my, why my, my other motivator. Okay. Um, there's something so liberating you know, in, in, in our everyday life where we're in cities, we're in towns, we're in wherever, wherever we are, but we're, we're dealing with cars. We're dealing with traffic. We, oh gosh, my gas tank's almost empty or my refrigerator's almost empty. And there's all these things <laughs> that you have to do. I like, you have to do them. Like, and we, and we've convinced ourselves over and over again, oh, we have to participate in this, in this environment. We have to do these things to be like normal functional human beings. And there's something so liberating about being, you know, out in the middle. It, it, it It's funny. On, on our last hike, my buddy Brian brought this quote up and it's been stuck in my head ever since. Have you ever seen the movie? Oh, brother, where, where art thou? Of course. Okay. So there's that moment when George Clooney talks about, and I'm going to fuck the quote up because I'm, I'm, I have no memory for these things, but he talks about a place being an anomaly because it's three miles from anywhere. <laughs> Um, and I love that idea. I love this idea that I'm like, I've, I've placed myself somewhere where I'm essentially, I'm 30 miles from anything. And, uh, there's something so liberating about being in a space where even if the worst happened and you had to hit the SOS button on your satellite communicator, um, you have no way of knowing when that call is going to be answered. It's just, you put the call out. And eventually someone comes. So you're completely self-reliant on, on yourself and the things that you've decided to carry with you. And if you've chosen poorly on the things that you've decided to carry with you, you could have a really bad time. If you've chosen well, you could still kind of have a really bad time. You just have a bad time with better stuff. Um, but there's just something so liberating about, you know, okay, I'm in this space. I have no cell signal. There's there's no chance of anyone coming. It, even if I need them, they're going to be a long time coming. And I have this stuff. This is what I have, and I have to make it work. And I, I just love that feeling of that that just that self reliance and kind of that resiliency of just like, you know, we were out. On the on the Bears Lake Basin trip, Brian and I both made the regrettable decision to leave our rain jackets behind. There was no rain in the forecast for days. There was nothing, nothing that even hinted that it might. And I shit you not, 12 miles in, black clouds rolled over every day. 
every single day at around noon, the entire sky was just filled with these clouds that were just like, we're going to definitely rain on you. Like, just understand, <laughs> just understand that that's happening. That's your life now. And we were just waiting for it. And it was like this weird, like point of almost anxiety where it's just like, is it, is it? No, no, we're good. Is it what? No, no, we're still fine. And then like on the last night, we just set up our tents and I mean, I hadn't even finished filling up my air pad and it's kaboom, you know, big thunder. And I'm like, here it comes. There it comes. And we, neither one of us have raincoats. And it was both like, there's this moment where like you can panic about that. You can freak out and you can let that ruin your whole trip or you can just accept it. And there was this immediate wash. Both of us just went, this is our life right now. This is how <laughs> things are. And I, I love that. I love those little moments where it's just like, and, and I think it comes with experience. I think a lot of it comes with experience because a brand new hiker in that same situation might completely lose their shit. I've been out on trail enough and, and spend enough time in the backcountry that it's just like, it's just like, look, shit's going to happen. Like no matter what, if you go on a trip, I don't care if it's the best trip you've ever been on. One moment of that fucking sucked. Every single time. Every single time. There's no, the, I cannot think in, in my entire time, I'm 50 years old now. I've been hiking and backpacking regularly and especially like solo backpacking since I was in my 30s. And I cannot think of one single trip I've ever been on where I can't go. This five minutes was fucking horrible. And early on in your backpacking career, you're just like, this is fucking terrible. The whole trip is ruined. Everything sucks. Now I'm just like, whatever, it'll be over in like 25 minutes and we'll be fine. Yeah, We're, we definitely are products of our experiences. And that's so true. Um, and, you know, especially now, like we talked about, like with the proliferation of social media and how I get this perception that everything's perfect. And, um, I, I, this is going to be really embarrassing. Um, but you know, last year when we were in the big horns, um, you know, there came a point we were out there for six days. It was a great trip, but we had had quite a few, you know, evening rainstorms. And apparently I have some sort of a hang up where, I can't stand my tent, packing my tent away wet. I'm getting better about that. But for some reason, it's just this like mental, like shit, it's going to be soaked. It's going to stay soaked. And I'm going to be so fucked when I have to put this up next time. And in a cumulative effect of all of the stressors in this one point, and even though this was one of the best trips I ever been on the second to last day, I'm packing my tent uh, in the morning, I'm packing my tent away and it's soaked and my hands are cold and wet. And I'm just getting more and more pissed off at no, for no particular reason. And I remember like throwing my tent down on the ground and just storming off. And my, my buddy Jay walks up and, and Jay having through hiked the Pacific crest trail, he's through hiked the Appalachian trail. You know, he's got this huge pedigree and here I am, I can't even make it six fucking days without losing my shit. <laughs> and I remember even saying like, I've, I have a YouTube channel. I'm supposed to be like this perfect backpacker. I'm a fucking fraud. <laughs> and just being caught up in that moment. And then, you know, like, you know, 10 minutes later, all of our shit's dried out, uh, it's laid out and dried out. We're eating breakfast. And I was like, God, I, I fell into my own trap of being uh, sucked into this. Uh, but, you know, like you said, 
it's all about experiencing those moments. And in, I think it's important also to share those moments. The people who do get into it know that it's okay to have those moments. Um, and then conversely, I was on a trip in the crazy mountains, um, which another thing that lives up to its name. And uh, we decided we were going to be really adventurous and go on the shoulder season. It was like October. When October in Montana can either be crystal clear blue skies or your worst fucking nightmare when it comes to weather. And we got the latter hat on that one because it, uh, it was a comedy of errors. We get out there. We had a flat tire on the way out there. We had to deal with that. It snowed and continued to snow. We were heading up into the mountains, into the higher areas. And right before we got to the campsite, the wind just started howling through. And so we decided we were going to stop and we, we found a, a place that we thought was great because there wasn't a lot of snow on the ground. Well, the reason there wasn't a lot of snow on the ground is because it was all blown away by the wind. <laughs> Hindsight being 2020. Um, so we set up our tents and everything and um, it's cold and I'm already starting to experience what I call the magazine test, which is a test that I created for myself. Um, where if you're in a situation, you start thinking about the situation you're in. And if you start thinking, you know, I've read this magazine article and it didn't end very well. It's a good idea to go ahead and get out of that situation. And so my magazine test light is starting to flash. And I'm thinking, no, I'll give it a few more minutes. You know, the wind could die down. And I reach into my bag and I get something and I just big gust of wind comes. And I look up and I see Ryan, my bike partner's tent is literally 20 feet in the air. All of his gear is falling out of it and no. it is sailing across. And no. I'm like watching in slow motion. Oh, look at that. And his tent lands and my tent is completely pancaked. And yeah, suddenly it's like, oh shit. <laughs> and we're like, that's it. Pack your shit. We're going home. <laughs> and so we had to go. But did you pack the up. tent? Uh, once we caught it. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Just making sure you caught the tent. <laughs> He lost a couple pairs of socks and some underwear that are probably still up there. But, you know, we packed up everything we could find and, and we hightailed it down. And Ryan, having just experienced losing all of his shit um, and then getting down there, and he was probably a little bit hypothermic and he did not have a good moment. And uh, but myself and the other guy, you know, having had been through similar situations, we were completely calm and it was fine. Um, but he... Um, just started to kind of lose it. So we had to calm him down and like, don't worry, we'll get the fire going. You know, it's fine. Um, here, go warm up. Um, and uh, everything ended up working out. But again, it was like Jim said, it could have been a situation where in his case, he went to panic mode. In our case, we went to, well, there's not, that's something you don't see every day, but you know, we can figure this out. You know, we're, we're down. It's dark. We've got food. Uh, we can get a fire going and everything worked out. But yeah, at that exact moment when you're watching a tent formally staked into the ground now, 20 feet in the air, <laughs> what do you do? It's so funny that you have the magazine test because uh, I, have, um, I have the book and uh, it's not a test. It's just, it's just the book. Um, and the book, it references, uh, and I think I've talked about this on here, um, but it's, it bears repeating. And, and that is that there, there is no good book. And this goes for uh, movie, this goes for show, whatever the fuck, um, that, that happened without the, 
really, really, really bad moments. There are always face down moments. There are always serious, uncomfortable challenges in any good book, story, anything. And if it was just, you know, like, would you watch this movie? I woke up. Today was great. Breakfast was cool. Talked to some friends. Went to work. Things were fine. Wasn't traffic. Went home. Hung out with my wife. Went to bed. Like, it's just so boring, right? But like, if you have uh, the tent is sailing through the air or you have, you know, even totally fucked up stuff, like slid down the mountain, survived, came out of it. So, you know, like these are the things that compel us. Like there's a reason that I survived is like, honestly, like beating every fucking YouTuber, right? Like all of us want to be like, how did you survive though? Um, And it's not even the fun moments that like, are even the things that you like you, you you tell your friends about you're like oh I was listening to this podcast and this girl she crashed in the jungle and then she got this huge gash on her arm and she survived for two weeks and like it's it's like those things that like compel us and so I always think about that like okay uh, I am up against a lot of rocks and there is a very large wave coming and there is nothing I can do about it this is gonna make a fucking awesome story if I survive it <laughs> Well, you, you don't see a bunch of fi- uh, backpackers sitting around a camp stove or fire or whatever talking about the time that they, you know, everything went perfect and, you know, the sunset and everything. It's always like, well, you know, I was trying to get the cat hole dug and I just didn't make it in time. And I shat myself and, or, you know, uh, you know, well, my other coworker uh, hikers uh, trail name is Hot Pants because he literally had a bag of food explode on him while he was making it just all over you know his pants got hot real quick or in my case you know i got my trail name because um i may or may not have seen a ghost mule can we get a little bit more on that (laughs) (laughs) so uh the the bighorn trip was a very eventful trip and it was a second day into the trip and uh we were hiking through and we were kind of coming down a hill and I looked down the hill and uh, I saw distinctly uh, a mule or a donkey or something, a, a pack animal. Um, and it had two saddlebags on and the bags were canvas and there were leather straps and everything. Very vivid. And I said, oh, hey, look, we got some pack animals coming up to let my hiking partners know. And they're like, what? They didn't see it. And so we get down to the bottom of the hill and there's nothing. There's no humans. There's no animals. There's no tracks. There's no hoof prints. There's just nothing. Ghost mule. So ghost mule. Yep. Okay. 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 So So it's spectral pack animals. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how do you not know that there wasn't a ghost mule there? It could have been a ghost. Who knows? (laughs) so it's pretty clear that we can talk about this for about a million years we can't i have two quick things though and then okay we'll move because i know where you're going with this i know what okay i love that go for it go two really quick things circling back to to sort of accepting the situation that you're in and not letting it ruin your time yes i have i am notorious for carrying too much food on the trail i always have more than I need. I always end up bringing food home at the end of a trip. 
So on the first of the two Tahoe Rim Trail trips that I talked about earlier in this episode, I decided I wasn't going to do that. I was just going to bring the amount that I actually eat, you know, because usually I'll plan it out for X amount of calories per day. Um, and then I never end up eating that much. And I think, I think the reality of it is I bring the proper amount of food. I just don't eat enough. Um, so on this trip, I packed what I normally eat. So I've, I've been backpacking enough. I know what that looks like. And I fucking ran out of food. No, I had, uh, my breakfast and then I had a snack and then my bear can was empty. And I was just like, I have like 12 miles before I get back to my car and I have no, I have no, I don't have, I don't have as much as like an M&M. I have nothing left for 12 miles. And part of the reason that I carry too much food is I, I think all of us are kind of guilty of packing our fears and I'm always worried about just running out of food. And, uh, you know, like in my head, it's like this terrible thing. Like, oh, this is the worst case scenario. Like, what if you run out of food? So like two years ago, Jim would have been losing his fucking mind and would have been like panicking and making poor decisions and, and rushing back to my vehicle to try to, to resolve this issue right now. Jim was just like, all right, this is the situation I'm in. It sucks a little bit, but whatever. I have 12 miles to go with no food. At least my pack's lighter. <laughs> okay. Wait, wait. So so two things. One, I think that those kind of things come from experience. And I think it's also a comparative suffering thing with yourself. Right. So like, I think the more fucked up things you go through, the less you freak out about the little things. Um, and honestly, like the more confidence you just have in yourself, right? Like you see those, uh, you see those black clouds rolling in and you go, well, I'm going to get wet but I'll survive and it's yeah. fine. And you don't think it's going to be a catastrophe because you've been through worse. You look back at those times and you think to yourself, you're, you have a little inner voice in your back, your head is like, but did you die? Yes. <laughs> nope. Yes, exactly. And Jim, I am notorious for picking not even close to enough food. Like I'm like, okay, so I'm going to go on this. 15 I've, I've mile been backpacking hike. with you. I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go on this 15 mile hike. I eat like 3000 calories. Fuck off with the apples. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I do love apples though. Um, I fuck with apples. Um, so uh, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go on this 15 mile hike. I'm going to bring a half a builder bar. Cause I already ate half of it, which doesn't bode well. And a fucking <laughs> apple. And I got some short shorts and a tank top and a iPhone. Let's do this. And like, it's just like, it's hilarious. I'm like uh, two miles in and I'm like, do I have any more apples though? <laughs> okay. Jim, number two. All right. So the second quick story. Uh, the number one thing I am asked about backpacking hands down. And it, there's not even like a close second, like the, the, the spread on this is so wide. The number one thing I'm always asked is why do I keep doing it after I almost died? And the only answer I can ever give people. And I, I get two reactions from this. I either get people going, Oh yeah, yeah that makes sense. Or they look at me like I have 12 heads. And, and the only answer I can ever give is I have to. I just, I have to, there's no, I can't like, like I get it. I get that, especially my tower peak story. 
if you're not a backpacker or you're not a peak bagger, if you're not a person who puts yourself in these kind of environments, it sounds fucking terrifying. And the reality of it is it was terrifying, but I lived to tell the story, which means I get to live to tell other stories like the worst disservice I could have done to myself after falling 40 feet down a glacier would have been just go, well, that's it. I'm done. Um, that's it. I'm never doing this again. I'm never going to have any more adventures. I'm never going to have any more cool adventure stories. I quit. Um, that would have been the worst decision I could have made. So it's just like, anytime somebody is like, why would you keep doing it? Why would you keep doing it after you almost died? I'm just like, I have to. Every trip you make after that event is a victory over that trauma. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And, and I love that so much. And, and I, and I also want to close with, um, when almost every time there are some exceptions, but almost every time that I've gotten out of a totally fucked hard, really, 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 really challenging moment, assuming that I didn't have like severe physical damage that like needed to be attended to, which does happen occasionally. Um, tell me about it. Yeah. You know, (laughs) you know, um, and, uh, my response is usually to laugh sort of hysterically like oh man i'm so cold and i'm so wet and those rain clouds sure are not stopping the rain situation and this does suck huh lol 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 so like it's not just that you're driven it's not that just that you have to but it's also that like the hard moments make you feel alive too yeah definitely like a hundred percent that's I, I don't think I could have articulated it better than that, but the the hard moments, absolutely, yes, you nailed it. Yep. Trips, yes, okay. So we're bringing trips back. We haven't done this for a couple of episodes. Uh, we're going to keep this one, I think, a little chill and a little mellow, right? Or which one we're did get, we we're decide gonna, on? We're gonna we're gonna try. Okay, which one did we decide on? I forgot already. Was oh no, three, I forgot too. I was three, really hoping you the would three remember. Animal experiences. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right, your three most memorable animal experiences. And we'll do this uh, as kind of a round. So I love that. Yeah. So we'll each do our number one or each do our number two, blah, 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 blah. So, Holly, you go ahead and start. Babe, there's a bear behind you. Uh... <laughs> Things you don't want to hear on a trail for 100. I love this story already. <laughs> Uh, so we, uh, we left Grant, uh, we, we left Yellowstone and we got to the Tetons and, uh, we had planned so little of the Yellowstone trip that I forgot that the Tetons were there. Um, it was a wonderful surprise. And so we're, we're in the moments of, uh, in the moments of, of service, we're trying to find a trail. We find this kind of BS trail, but it's insane and gorgeous. Cause if you've ever been to the Tetons, amazing. And uh, so I'm like, yo, take a picture of me. There's this rock, it's, you know, kind of like out in a lake and it's got these gorgeous snow capped fucking peaky mountains that Tetons are known for. So I'm standing there and he's taking a picture and then I turn and I look at him and uh, and there's this uh, there's this bear is a bear behind him and it's really, really close. And it is a baby bear, which at first makes you go, oh, it's just a baby bear. It's not a big deal. Um, (laughs) But if you know anything about bears, if there's a baby bear, there's a mama bear and baby bears are much more dangerous than than big bears. Um, This story, it was all good, clean fun. Um, We 
shouted. The bear got scared to the tune of about seven feet and continued to rummage around in a bush nearby and then sort of like sauntered off in its little waddly, fuzzy, perfectly round bear kind of a way, um, which is what makes the, the, the whole story just amazing because there's like, there's no, we fought a grizzly in the Tetons, you know, it's just this little baby bear. And it was like, I don't fucking care about you guys. I just want some berries. I'm going to go over here. You guys are loud. Uh, so babe, there's a bear behind you. That's, that's awesome. So interestingly enough, this also happened in Teton. Um, but uh, this was before I moved out here. Uh, my uncle and I went on a trip in 2001. And um, we were coming up uh, the canyon trails. So if you go around Jenny Lake, and then you head up into the canyon behind. And I was coming around a bend. And <laughs> this is stupid Ohio kid. Uh, I see uh, an obvious moose track, which is obvious to me now, which is just a giant deer track. And I remember even saying to myself, wow, that is one big ass deer. <laughs> and I come around the corner and there is a bull moose about 10 feet in front of me. I mean, I could have easily fit into his antlers and I'm six foot tall. And I remember just like stopping like fuck. And my uncle is completely oblivious. Also probably looking at the hoof print going, wow, that's a big deer. And I stop him and he goes, what? And he looks up and he goes, fuck. And so we have this moose and it's right in front of us. And so I like quietly, you know, muster up. I'm like, okay, just, just, just wait a minute. He'll move along and then we can continue on the trail. We just got to wait. Wasn't in the moose's decision or uh, uh, plans. He laid down directly into the in the middle of the trail, just laid right down. And so now we're stuck. We're like, well, we can't go past him and we can't. So we had to go all the way around. And as we came around um, up through this thicket brush and all this stuff, we get around to the other side. And I, I look back and at that exact moment, we get back to the trail. He looks back at us, stands up and walks away. Amazing. Wow. I love that. Kind of, it always <laughs> makes for such a cool story. All right. So my first one is kind of silly and it kind of a testament to the sort of poor decisions new backpackers make. So this was probably my third solo trip. I decided I was going to walk this loop in Lassen. Uh, the loop went up around Snag Lake, over the cinder cone, back down the PCT and met back up with the, the Snag Lake trail again and back to the parking lot. So I'm on my second night. I'm in the tent. I'm exhausted. The The day had been kind of terrible. I'd, I'd found this gorgeous little campsite right on the, on the beach in the sand for a snag lake. Got my tent set up. Everything was wonderful. And then this group of hikers came in and camped like basically right on top of me. And they're screaming and yelling and being loud and being obnoxious and just being Worse. shitty, shitty people. And, uh, so rather than confront them, I just packed all my shit up and I'm like, I'll find another campsite. Well, the other campsite that I found ended up being like three more miles. So I'm fucking tanked. The sun is setting. I get my tent set up. By the time I've started my meal, the sun is set. It's done. Like it's nighttime. Crawl into my tent and I, I cannot emphasize enough how fucking tired I was. And in the middle of the night, I hear something come through my camp 
normally, and especially now, more experienced gym is just like, whatever, do your thing. Walk through. I don't care. Newbie gym, freak the fuck out. Grabbed my headlamp, threw my tent door open in like this wildly dramatic fashion and shine the light straight out the door. Now, if you know anything about Lassen, it has a very significant bear population. Uh, and in fact, there are more bear encounters with people in Lassen than any other national park, but somehow none of them have ever been like violent. Like the bears and the people just like they interact, the bear steals the food, but there haven't been any attacks or, or anything dangerous. Um, but if you know anything about bears, the last thing you want to do is startle them. So now I've just thrown my tent wide open, <laughs> huge dramatic show, shining the light out there. And there's three deer just standing <laughs> there in the middle of my campsite going, bro, like <laughs> what, what are you doing? And, uh, and it clicked with me like this. I, it, you have never been shamed until you've been shamed by a deer. And, and just sitting there and having this deer like stare at me like, what are you, what are you doing, dude? Do you know there's bears out here if you startle a bear? Because a bear's initial reaction to being startled is to fucking destroy the thing that scared it. It's just like, I'm scared. <laughs> Tear you up. And then go, oh, it was just a dude in a tent. Whoops. I overreacted a little bit. But, uh, and the deer, like, seriously, like, you just see it. Just this look of just like, dude, if we were a bear, you would be dead right now. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I need to get, make you a shirt with a deer head on it. And it just says, calm down, Francis. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Holly, number two. Okay. My number two is slightly less climatic. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna preface it with that. Um, we dove this really amazing, gorgeous deep bay in the Big Island. And this is uh, this is like maybe the second day of the trip. And mm, I would say that I was, uh, do, do you guys use the term baby snake? Like when you're like, you think you should be really confident, you know how much to like go, but like you really don't. I'm um, gonna now. <laughs> I've never heard that before, but that is that. I'm, I'm that's yep. Using that, yeah. Um, so I was a little bit of a baby snake. Um, I felt really confident. I've got my long fins. I can hold my breath and go in the water, and that's about all you need to do as a free diver. So, um, so we're in this bay. We had to swim a really, really long ways, and the, we did not bring our boards, so we're just finning out in the deep uh blue things um and this pot of dolphins comes by and we can hear them clicking and dolphins are incredibly loud uh they're hilariously loud actually they squeak and they creak and they click and they make so much noise so you can hear them coming from a long long ways away um not like whale song like you can't hear them from africa but you can hear them and so they're clicking and and they're squeaking and we hear them coming and uh, a couple of little baby ones swim by and you know i've got my gopro out and i'm really excited these dolphins are swimming and uh then these two two uh these two big big males uh all of a sudden appear and we're like okay i got a little bit of bad 
bad feels from from these two. They're pretty they're pretty big and they sure do swim a lot faster than me. Um, and so they start circling us and we're like, okay, all right, that's, this is a dolphin, right? Like, you know, it's like, ah, you know, it's like, it's not a shark, right? Like, okay. I mean, they sure are really close and they haven't left and it is okay. All right. I am swimming with dolphins. This is what I wanted. Um, and all of a sudden they, uh, they're swimming and they, and they pivot and they start charging. Okay. And so I, yeah. And so I wear uh, long fins. My fins are, I believe, they're like three, four feet long. I don't remember which ones I was wearing at the time. Um, and so I tuck into a little ball and I pull my fins up in front of me, and they get really close. Uh, I have I have a video from my angle and from Brian's angle of them charging <laughs> me, um, which is important to the story. I'll get there in a sec. Um, so they charge, and they actually charge. Uh, they charge twice. Um, and both times they get very, very close. And uh, I'm honestly like, okay, well, if they run into my shins, like they're not going to bite me, right? Like, I don't know, bite my fins. I'm not sure what'll happen, right? Um, I know a lot more now because Google after that event and I did live. <laughs> so, hey. Um, and um, and so they charge us and then they actually, uh, they leave. Um, and then they come back and they're very, very friendly. And by this time we're swimming back the long distance to get back to the way to get out. Um, and, and, and as soon as they, as soon as they left, um, I have this term just called bad feels and it's not, it doesn't take a lot of interpretation. Um, when it got bad feels, we just trust bad feels. Um, and if you get bad feels, you just, you just stop doing what you're doing and you exit. And you guys are both making the face of experienced <laughs> yeah. people who know what bad feels is. Um, so as soon as they leave, we get really, really strong bad feels, like very bad feels. And, Bad feels in a hundred feet of water when you have at least 30 minutes to get out of it uh, is a, a lot of bad feels. Um, and the, the dolphins actually came back. They were really friendly, but they were really clearly pushing us um, in a direction. And, and it's interesting. I Googled it. I learned what very little research we have on, on dolphins. And, uh, and it was really, really clear that they were removing us from the situation. They weren't attacking us. They were, removing us from the situation. So the climax is that I don't know what they were pushing us away from, that we got out safe. And it was an interesting and slightly scary experience that taught me a lot about self-reliance in the water and also taught me about what I do when I get scared in the water and that's <laughs> turned into a ball. Um, and uh, so dolphin, bad feels. Here comes a Kraken. Yep. I'm grateful. That, I don't yeah, know what was there. That's scary. All right. All right. Calvin. You're, you're number two. All right. So number two, um, my ear pods just died. Um, number two for me, um, is, uh, I worked for a summer while I was in college up at a boys camp in Wisconsin, leading outdoor trips, canoeing, backpacking, um, sea kayaking, stuff like that. And we were on a canoe trip and I was the lead canoe and, uh, I was in the back of the canoe and there was a, 10 year old, 12 year old kid, um, in the front of the canoe. And we were kind of coming around a bend and unbeknownst to us, we interrupted a bald eagles, um, hunting and bald eagles hunt by swooping down with their talons first and, and they hit the water. And as we came around the bend, I looked up just in time to see a gigantic bald eagle 
swooping down right where my canoe is at and it starts veering and I can hear the wind going through its wings. And all I saw were the talons. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a fun story about how I lost a kid. Fuck. And it, it took off. And, you know, I'm watching it leave. I was like, damn. And I turn and look. And the front of the canoe is empty. There's nobody there. And I thought, no. oh, shit. This is going to be a lot of paperwork. And all of a sudden, this head pops up from the bottom of the canoe and goes, is he gone? This kid Amazing. went to the bottom of the canoe, just dropped. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So <laughs> I did not realize this kid could get so small, but he just disappeared. That's incredible. Oh, wow. I can't even imagine what this is going through that poor kid's head. You say he's like 12. And there's just yeah, this, 10 or 12, somewhere around there. Screaming bird of death coming straight for his face. <laughs> I have to take the iPods out because my iPods died. Oh, okay. Sorry. Right, so so my second one, uh, this one's kind of cute. It's the, I figured a little levity for this one. Um, this was on the Evolution Valley trip. And I th- I've got a little bit of this guy in my YouTube video from this trip. So Brian and I had come over Lamarck Cole, which is one of the hardest things we've ever done. And then we had to come down the other side of it, which somehow was harder. I don't know how nature pulled that trick, but kudos, I guess. Um, And so we found our campsite. We're all set up. We're just completely tanked. We've got shelters up. We're getting our dinners ready. And this marmot comes creeping out. And he's staring at us, like clearly trying to get us to uh, give him some food. And you can tell by just his demeanor that he's successfully done this several times. Um, so we're not giving him anything. We're not because you don't feed. Don't feed. Don't feed the marmots. Please don't feed the marmots. Um, <laughs> and so he's kind of he's kind of off to the left of our camp. He's coming in like from the lake side, basically. And he's, you know, doing the marmot thing, standing up and doing that weird chirpy noise that they do. And uh, we're not giving him anything. So he gives up and or so we think. And then two or three minutes later, he's coming in from straight ahead. So he's now he's now changed his tactic and he's coming in from another angle and he's standing on this granite rock and he's doing the chirpy noise and he's creeping up a little closer and uh so I huck, I huck a little pine cone near him, not at him, but just near him. Doesn't even phase him. He's just a yeah. yeah. <laughs> People have tried the pine cone trick before. Just give me some food. Um, so he gives up again, seemingly. And then two or three minutes later, I hear from my right-hand side, it's the same marmot. He's now gone almost like three three ways around. Now he's attacked us from the, from the north, the east, and now he's coming in from the south. And he's still the same motivation. He's just making the little chirpy noise and, and coming after us. And uh, so we finished our dinner. We put everything up in the bear cans and we stowed the bear cans away from our camp a safe distance. And I always like to try to jam mine like under a bush or under a tree to make it like more difficult for the whoever's after it to get it. And uh, we get the bear cans put away and we're getting ready to go to bed. And I look over 
And this same marmot, he's now coming at us from a fourth direction. And he's just standing on our bear cans. Like trying to figure out how to open. And it's like, you little bastard. Oh my God, you will not give up. And it was actually, it was super funny. and just kind of cute. I just, I turn over and he's just up on his hind legs with his front paws, one on each can. Just kind of <laughs> inspecting them. Like trying to figure out how to get into these things. Because like he knew what was in them. He was fully aware of what those things held. And he was just like, all right, I can figure this out. He's a marmot after my own heart. <laughs> <laughs> he just wants the snacks. He just wants the snacks. The snack. So the question was, what are our favorite animal stories, right? Not the yeah. scarier one? Mo- okay. Most memorable. Most memorable. Okay. 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 My most memorable one. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with third and final is... Uh, diving with a baby it was an adolescent teenage humpback uh so we went on a quest to swim with a whale and i think that that'll be a lifelong quest forever um to swim with every whale i can possibly get to hang out with me um but in this particular circumstance we went on a on a year-long quest uh in hindsight it is a it is a totally linear quest to see a whale um so we're on the trip that we're hoping will be the time but you can't control nature right so we have rented a speedboat and we went up the north shore, uh, or sorry, the north side, uh, northwestern side of the big island of Hawaii. And we're sitting in a boat and this is really amazing, but it's actually not the climax. Um, <laughs> and I think I hear somebody slamming car doors and it's, it's the whale. And all of a sudden whales are jumping all around us, tons of them. They're everywhere. No matter where you look, they're jumping up and they just look like the happiest dudes in the whole world with their giant, giant flippers. And they just jump up and then they just crash back down. Car door, car door, car door is what it sounded like. And so now we know where they are. So a couple of days later, we paddle out to the end of this bay. And this is where we had seen them. And the sun is rising. I got out on the water. It was still dark. Um, sun's rising. And sure enough, you hear it, you hear their breath. So it's like, right, coming out of the water. And we see them and they're across the bay, right? And so we're like, yes, they're here. Paddle, 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 paddle. Like, and in hindsight, like, what fucking ego? You think you're going to catch a whale on a paddleboard? Like, are you out of your mind? Uh, So we get to the other side of the bay. And of course, you can see this story happening. Just, we look across the bay, there they are. So we turn around, we paddle, paddle, paddle. This happens over and over and over. And then both Brian and I, almost without talking, we go chasing it. That's a, that's not how what we do. This is ridiculous. This isn't how we interact with nature. And it's not. I would never do that with a any terrestrial animal. Could you imagine? Like, oh, there's a buffalo in Yellowstone. So you, like, run towards it. Like, <laughs> it's totally... I think what? there's a whole I think there's a whole TikTok page of, of people, do. people doing exactly that. 
that's not how I interact with nature. Right, Let's right, leave right. it there. There's a lot of ways that people interact with nature I don't approve <laughs> of. That's not what I do. And so we both just say nothing and we sit there. We just turn to the side on our boards and we sit there. And over the course of the next 90 plus minutes, just a long time to sit there and say nothing, um, it gets closer and closer and closer. About every three to five minutes, it surfaces, kind of turns aside, and, uh, and it gets closer. Eventually, it's several feet from us and uh there's a video of this that will maybe it'll get posted i'm not sure where i learn what i do when i'm really really scared because as it turns out whales are fucking huge and the ocean is really deep and it's really blue and you don't know what's under there when you put your whole body in it because your head's at the top of your body uh so when you get down you can finally see right so I see this whale, it's really close to me, and it's so obvious how huge and massive the ocean and the world and this whale is. And uh, and I go, okay, 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 okay. And I just say that in a totally just re repetition. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. This is what I do when I'm scared. Uh, and we dive. So we dive off of our boards and the whale turns to the side and it looks at us and I'm looking into a fucking humpback whale's eyes in the open ocean. It's like, whoa, what? Uh, and so we climb back up on our boards like, fuck, we looked a whale in the eyes and it sang at us. And, you know, who knows if it was singing at me? I have no idea, but I'm going to, I believe it. Uh, I'm holding on to it. And then it dove, it dove away from us. And we were like, we were totally stoked. That was the end of it. Um, and then the bay fills with, maybe 200 plus dolphin i don't know it fills with just so many dolphin and the whale's back and it's slapping its fins and it's coming out of the water so we dove with it for hours um alone in this bay and until it just kind of went off and the dolphins kind of dispersed and the moment was gone. And that was the end of swimming with the, with the whale in, in the bay. Um, honorable mention to the dolphin that stole shit off of Brian's paddleboard. while that was all happening. <laughs> so two things, um, you should have gone last because yeah. <laughs> there is no story that's going to top that. That was incredible. Um, and second, it's uh, it's your turn. You get to follow that story. <laughs> I can't top that epicness, so I'm not even going to try. I'm going to go a different route, and I'm going to share my most awkward animal encounter. Amazing. Well, a little bit of TMI, but, uh, you know, why not? Um, so we were up at a lake, um, and again, it was towards the end of the season, and um, up in the mountains, you know, especially towards the end of the season, vegetation starts to become a little bit more scarce. Uh, minerals can kind of become a little bit more scarce. And, you know, animals are definitely trying to get prepared for the winter. And so early in the morning, I started hearing something moving around outside the tent and, you know, got my attention. And, and, and I realized that the, the feet are hooved. And so I was like, okay, most likely it's, it's um, mountain goat. Um, uh, mountain goats. And it was, um, so the next morning I woke up and I walk out of my tent and I'm looking around and I, I look down the bottom of the valley and I see a family of, uh, four mountain goats, um, you know, two kids and the adults. 
and uh, they see me and uh, they slowly start making their way towards um, the camp. And so start making dinner and everything or breakfast and everything. And um, they're just kind of watching from a, a distance or close distance, but they're just intently watching everything that I'm doing. And um, if you don't know, and so especially about mountain goats is um, they really like salt. And they have learned over time that ready source of salt comes from human pee. And so I done, didn't dawn on me at this point in time. I'm just trying to figure out why these goats are watching me. Like, you know, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. And so I have to go use the bathroom as one does in the morning. And I head off to the bushes to start using the bathroom. And as I'm getting ready, I not kidding the bush right in front of me. I see this white head pop out. And, <laughs> and at this point I've started and I can't stop. And so I'm peeing and it just slowly as I'm peeing starts to move its head down and it starts to drink said pee while pee is still hitting the ground. And I am now <laughs> peeing on a mountain goat's head. And I remember audibly saying, dude, wait, I'll be done in a second. And so he, he, he did not care and he continued. And so, yeah, I, I spent that morning urinating on a mountain goat's head. Wow. <laughs> so I can't even top, I can't even top that one. Um, <laughs> all right. So I had one in mind that, but I'm going to tell a different one. Um, this was, the first overnight trip that I took Kiki on and we went to um, Hyatt, Hyatt Lake was where we were trying to get to. And the, there's a video of this on the YouTube channel. The entire, the entire trip was a shit show from start to finish. Um, but there was this moment where all right, so back it up real quick. I couldn't find the actual trailhead. And in my infinite wisdom, I decided I'm just going to park and then hike to the trailhead like why bother parking at the trailhead let's let's have a hike before the hike right uh so that ended up adding eight unplanned miles Oof. and uh so we're coming up and i finally like between my map and compass and my gps device i'd finally narrowed down like where the trailhead actually was so we're on the right track we're heading in there i'm super excited I'm like all right we're doing this and we come around this bend on this fire road and there is just a herd of cattle right in the middle of the road. And, you know, in, in Nevada, a lot of places in Nevada, there's free range in a lot of the national parks and, and a lot of the public lands, especially like BLM land and stuff like that, where the ranchers can just take their whole herd and dump them on essentially public land and they graze and then they come back later and they pick them up and they take them back. Um, so that's what this situation was. These were, these were someone's cows and 99.9% .9 of the time when you bump into this herd of cattle somewhere out on public lands, they just look at you and they go, Nope, that's not, not fucking with that. And they leave. Almost all of these cattle did that except for one mom and one calf. And they would not move. 
And so I'm just like, you know what? They're just fucking cows. Like, what's I'm just gonna walk <laughs> past the fucking cows. Like, what's the worst that could happen, right? Oh Amos my god, left. cows are so scary. So we just started Kiki and I just and Kiki being smarter than me, and she was only like eight months old at the time. She's just like, dude, no, like we haven't lived together that long, but I'm not doing this. Um, <laughs> So she's like hanging back behind me and she's just like, I, I don't know about this. And so we get up, we get up there and the calf is just like, all right, I'm going to fuck off. I'm going to start walking away. And what, what I assume was the calf's mother was just like, no, not today, buddy. <laughs> she, like, she like huffs up and like, it's like audibly breathing really hard, like making like really intentionally loud breathing noises. And then she just starts like, walking toward not charging not just like 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 very intentionally like you can almost read it on her face like i don't even need to run i can just trample you to death so i'm just gonna come over there and do that so i stop and kiki and i back off and as soon as we back off she backs off and her calf comes back and they continue grazing and and drinking water from this little stream and so i'm just like i remember (laughs) i remember talking on the video and i'm like i don't like i literally don't know what to do like (laughs) <laughs> if I walk towards the cow, the cow is going to stomp me. But I can't sit here all day. Like, I have to get to a place to camp. I can't camp on this fire road next to this angry cow. And <laughs> we ended up sitting there for like 45 fucking minutes. And finally, the cow was just like, yeah, we're done. And they just walked off like it was nothing. <laughs> and we continued on our way and, and finished the hike. But I'll never forget, like, like I really, I and I almost think I said it out loud. I I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure I said out loud, like it's just a fucking cow. What's it gonna do? <laughs> and I started just walking towards this cow, and the cow was just like, uh, uh-uh, uh, nope, mm-mm, you're gonna die. That's what's gonna happen. Is I will, I will stomp you to death. <laughs> but I, I remember, I remember really distinctly looking down at Kiki, and she had this look on her face, like, are you fucking really? This is what we're doing today. <laughs> We could just go home. This would be fine by me. We, but it was, I wish I had a picture of the look on her face because it's like having this eight month old puppy look up at you like you dumbass. Uh, well, this has been a really fun conversation. Yeah. Um, we'll put all the links and how to find Calman and you know how to you know, connect with us. We'll put that in the show notes and thank you for staying on this very long podcast. Yeah. This was super fun. Thanks for being with us. Thank you.